Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Eric Bloat of Bloat Games joins me. We talk about his current Kickstarter, Dark Places, and Demogorgons. We learn a lot from Eric, and I look forward to having him back on. Fate of the Fly God should be launching this Tuesday, assuming all goes well. This week, I've been dealing with a minor illness. That, combined with wrapping up Gary's Appendix Kickstarter and prepping for future Kickstarters, has left me a bit strapped for time. Since my wife and I are vacationing next week in Cincinnati, we will see what happens with next week's episode. Time to get going. It's Saturday morning, and I'm rushing to get this out. It is time to get rambling. Hello, Eric. Hey, how's it going, man? It is going good. It is going it is going good for me, but it looks like it's going great for you. It is, it is. Yeah. I'm I feel very, very blessed and very fortunate. It is uh we're currently, you know, just ended like day three of our um already our most uh successful Kickstarter yet. So this is Kickstarter number twenty and uh and it's it's our most successful by a large margin. So I am. I'm feeling very fortunate and very blessed right now, and yeah, it's uh, it's going great. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, with all the things that 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 I'm doing, it's like you know, I'm sure you're getting the same mode where your head's down and you see a thing, and you're like, I don't know what that is. Yep. It's like, oh, that was kind of cool. I better get Eric on to tell me what this is all about: <laughs> dark places and demogorgons, which isn't it isn't a new thing, right? No, it's not. Yeah, we I created what I called um, the sur- survive this gaming system, which is really it's a uh, it's a house ruled version of BX D and D is is what it is. Um, but you know, it kind of changed up. It was, it was what I had been running for years um, myself, and you know, kind of we mixed some stuff in from fifth edition. But at its core, it's BX D and D. And funny enough, um, it's an OSR game, but a lot of people. Um, just said they didn't want to learn a new rule set, and but it kept asking us to put out an, an OSR version. And I, you know, I'd always say, but this is an OSR game. Uh, so eventually, you know, we came around. We decided uh, let's do, um, old, let's do it for old school essentials because I really loved what uh, Gavin Norman and Necrotic Gnome did with that that game. The you know the retelling of BX D and D, um, and you know everything. And so I said, well, let's let's match up with that. And um, I thought it was a good idea. And uh, I think it I think it's turning out that it is because a lot of people seem to be really excited about, uh, you know, to doing this. And and not just my people who've been playing bloke games for years, but uh, we're getting a lot of new people in who had never played our games before, never heard of us before, never even heard of Dark Places and Demogorgons. But they they like the concept and and obviously they love old school essential. So it's been great. So what is Dark Places and Demogorgons? Sure. Dark Places and Demogorgons, it's very much a love letter to um, horror movies in the 80s. It definitely, uh, obviously, from its namesake, you, you know that it's inspired by shows like Stranger Things, um, The Goonies, stuff like that. Um, where How it came about is I was watching the very first episode of Stranger Things, and about 10 minutes into uh, watching, I said, this needs to be a game. I started writing it. I got about 44 pages in, hopped on Kickstarter one day, and there was a game called Tales from the Loop Kickstarting. And I right. said, oh, somebody beat me to it. Never mind. But then I started watching. I said, wait, I'm doing something different. And uh, so I continued on, made my version of, of what my game is. Um, and stuff. And it's funny because there's, there's several games out there. There's Tales from the Loop. You know, kids on bikes, stranger stuff, a whole bunch of games that are out there. And really, we all do uh, things a little bit differently. Like, it, even though it's set in the 1980s, you play as high school teenagers, um, typically in small towns. Uh, each game, uh, mechanically and thematically, um, achieves their own their own thing. So mine is geared more towards um, playing a session of Dark Place and Demi Gorgons. It's kind of like watching... Um, an 80s teen horror movie so like any movie by like Wes Craven or John Carpenter from from that time period you know teens where the teens have parents that they don't get along with they're getting in trouble at school 
and weird things are happening and nobody believes them and they got to figure out what's going on and fight the fight the monsters and that that's what uh dark place and demi gorgons is all about okay it's, so it's it's uh that's interesting so uh, and you're right. The mechanics seem to also. I mean, mechanics do a lot with the, the feel of a game, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, you know, the the traditional, um, you know, swords and wizards. I mean, it's like you know, from RuneQuest to D and D to who knows what. I mean, they all they all provide a, a completely different feel for, and they're all aiming for something different. Yeah, yeah. That's that's how. Yeah, that's 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 why I always that's kind of the example that I use when people will say or say well you're just one of those 80s games i you know throughout time you get those uh, occasionally and my thing is well there's a huge difference between dungeons and dragons and warhammer and tiny dungeon second edition exactly like, those are all completely different games and they're all fantasy games i said so yes we are we are one of those 80s games but we're different from you know and 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 each of the those games are different from each other so so there's plenty of room out there for everybody to exist uh, peacefully and still have fun. Yeah, yeah, and I think right, and the, the big one, the Tales from the Loop, is definitely a a huge one. But boy, they they're really leaning d- deep into their own thing. I mean, other than they just are. being kids, exp- you know, experiment or not, you know, uh, experiencing the the weird and trying to figure it out is kind of where they're at. Not necessarily the well, I shouldn't say I haven't I haven't actually bought it, but it. it it seems from the the younger, at least the younger version, it's not really about things being deadly as much as it is probably trying to understand. No, yeah. What's going in on. fact, in fact, your characters can't die in right. in um, Tales from the Loop. Um, that's one of the concessions that they made is they they didn't want to make a game about children where children were getting slaughtered. Um, I made mine about teenagers, and I was okay with uh, <laughs> high school teens uh, characters getting slaughtered. I come from obviously the OSR. I come from the old old school background, so you know uh, my games have a higher lethality than modern games, but not like higher than like you know traditional or old school Dungeons and Dragons or any of the OSR type variants. You'll find we're right at home with with that. Um, but so that wasn't something I shot away. That's one thing that makes it a little bit different than, than yeah, uh, like Tales from the Loop. And, I think with the, I think Tales from the Flood, I think they actually there is character death. Is on the You're table, there. but they're old. But they're older. But I don't think they leaned heavy into it as it would yeah. be. I, you know, I, I'm assuming making some assumptions. I don't think they're leaning into this like a Freddy Krueger movie. They're more right. leaning into where you know that is a possibility. And it, but it's probably yeah. I would imagine not. There's no TPKs. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so how do you how do you? I mean, you know, obviously, well, I say obviously, but you know, with old school essentials really was you know established um in a lot of ways you know in in a ways again for um not just also but the bx and the early D was more you know aimed at combat where that's less of a situation that one has when uh with teenagers dealing with situations so how do you how do you deal with that with that rule set and you know and in that style of play which is really still quite a bit different right yeah that well that, that's one thing and it's it is explained both in the old school essentials version and also in the original survive this version um you're not knights like war-hearted knights and wizards going down into caverns to fight monsters on a regular basis you are regular teenagers in the 1980s so a lot of Dark Places and Demigorgons is about trying to figure out how to either defeat or trap or get rid of a monster much more than going head-to-head. People who who run in there uh, kind of with the, the um, uh, like a murder hobo type <laughs> mentality or like a fifth edition player who's used to being, you know, pretty protected when it comes to um, things they can pretty much go up against anything head-to-head and they're going to survive. Um, th- some of those people have a hard time uh, transferring that, but uh, in in dark places, demigorgons, there's you know it tells you uh, kind of right front that uh, you can run away from any fight. You're not there necessary to fight the monsters. You may be more likely to trap the monster in a shed and burn the monster or burn the shed down, something along those lines, than necessarily picking up a baseball bat 
and trying to go head to head with, uh, you know, a werewolf or something like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously stranger things, they kind of set that I think in, in a, in a way that people can now really fully grasp or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe in times past, it's like, that doesn't make any sense. But I think after having, you know, most, most people have, have seen, you know, at least one season of that and it makes much more sense where it's like, Oh yeah, there's this scene here and this scene here and this scene there where they can kind of tie in to understand what that kind of place should be about. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The the more you watch like Stranger Things and stuff like that, the more you'll see it's. I you know I always say this kind of jokingly, but it's true. It's 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 like a Scooby Doo episode. There is a lot of running from the monsters until very end when the monsters revealed to be something not you know what you thought it was or you know you know like in Stranger Things they're pretty much running from the monsters each season until the very end when they figured out how to beat the monster and what its weakness is. So that's more of the, the style of play of Dark Place and Demigorgons as opposed to, you know, each week you go up and fight a new monster, kill it, gain as much XP as you can to go up a level. That's, there's kind of a difference. It's a different state of mind, really. So did you bolt on any skills and, like, how do you handle classes for this game? Well, there is skills on, um, <laughs> on uh, in the Survive This version of Dark Place and Demigorgons. In the OSE version, um, there's no skills set as a as a common rule. Now, in the back of the book, there's several indexes full of optional rules, and those will be optional rules. And the reason why we did that is we wanted these to be 100% mechanically with everything that Gavin had done before for old school essentials. So there's there's no uh, you know in BXDD there's no real skills aside from like. Right. and some, some wonky things like that um and so we we continued that on now the classes the classes are based kind of like um it, it started off very much inspired by the breakfast club so you had like the the nerd the geek prep doc. and in our, in our in dark place demigrants you're going to find the nerd the geek the prep the jock the metalhead um things like that but you're also going to find things like the break dancer the karate kid you know, and even up to there's some optional classes that's like the mystic, the scion, um, the talking animal. So you can literally play Scooby-Doo uh, if you like to. And so those are things that we've added on to, uh, you know, that are, that's how we've handled it. Whereas, you know, this, you know, it's not so much about like different races and different things like that. It's more about, you know, your normal high school kids. This is what you do. And you may have you know, in some of the optional classes, you may have a, a super ability or something along those lines. But typically, that's not going to be a whole party of kids. Uh, that's going to be like, like in Stranger Things, they'll be like else. One person has some kind of powers and they might get relied on. But then they also become <clears> kind <throat> of the biggest target for whatever monsters looking for them. So. Yeah, I think it's the monsters of the week. Uh, they follow that sort of pattern, where it's, you know, the, and uh, which I think makes a lot of sense. But I think. Even though with the with the um, I think with the apocalypse engine, there's still probably more complexity when it appears. But I would think with the with a OSC, you're probably dealing with more complexity than than say they did with the with the apocalypse engine with the monsters of the week. So, mm-hmm. like, how'd you go through? Maybe maybe balance isn't that important. You know, maybe everything is is uh, something like. So, how do you differentiate mechanically? You know, the the nerd versus the skateboarder. All right, so each each uh, class is going to have its own set of like class features, and these are going to be things that they excel at. So, like the skateboarder is going to be very agile; it's going to excel at you know obviously riding a skateboard, doing things to that matter. The break dancer again going to be very agile; going to excel at things like dancing, um, you know things things like that. Very basic, simple things. But then we've added flavorful things that are reminiscent of the 1980s. Um, really, what uh, with our game, we tried to inject as much nostalgia into our game as possible. And so you're going to find things that are represented that characters from movies of that time have been able to do. They'll be superpower or abilities rather in each thing. And that's part of the fun of converting them over from uh, the Survive This to the OSC is going back and revisiting and, and either beefing up ones that needed to be adjusted or powering down. 
Um, as far as game balance, I am not a huge proponent of game balance. Um, I, I think that everything should be in the world. And, you know, if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, your first level character, if you wander into the wrong cave, there may be a dragon in it. But uh, aside from that, I know some people really love to, love to have everything balanced and fair. So all the monsters and the classes are balanced as far as like what is the normal within the confines of um, uh, BX Dungeons and Dragons. So, you know, you'll find like uh, ratings and stuff like that for, you know, hit dice and all, all those normal stuff. Um, and then it's up to the, the game master to choose the monster that would be appropriate to go up against the party that they're yeah, running. I would mean so much like for monsters, but more for like, you know, there, there's some games where it's like a person picks a particular class or whatever, and they get to do all the cool stuff. And, and then everybody else is just kind of sitting around. probably like, like a wizard, you know, they, you know, the, the traditional wizard would stink at early levels The later levels. Everybody's just watching the, the wizard yeah. just do everything. You're like, okay why am i here <laughs> it's like, yeah yeah no i totally get that yeah but really you you find that um that doesn't ha- or at least i've found uh you know with with done with, with dark place and new Orleans, that doesn't happen as much because really the kids aren't skilled they're i mean they're high school kids what what separates them is kind of their interests and what they naturally are maybe physically inclined to do but there's not a large thing from like, you know, if you look at like the jock, which would be one of the like, he'd be the most attuned to like a fighter class, something like that. There's not a huge difference between what a jock can do and what a um, nerd can do. So like the nerd class will be obviously intelligence based. So they do a lot more stuff that involves intelligence, jocks, much more physical stuff. But they're still just normal people. So there's not like a huge right. difference. That makes sense. No, and I think the thing is, is to me, it's it's also what's maybe as interesting is really as far as a archetype, like like what can't they do? Right. Well, you know? and that's, that's a, that's a, that's actually something like no one is limited. Everybody in, in these games can attempt anything now like obviously you can't attempt to cast a spell if you're a normal teenager that's that's not an option um things like that but um a lot of the newer or more modern games uh more modern versions of dungeons dragons i don't want to say games because most rpgs are not this way but i i feel kind of they limit the classes to the people who are looking at their character sheet to see what they can do um whereas i come from the old school um uh train of thought of ask everything's an option try to do it let's see what happens well i mean even just from a from a character if you think about like what can't a jock do you know what can't a nerd do like maybe the nerd can't ask the the the, the lovely woman or lady out to the homecoming or right maybe you can't go into but maybe the but the jock can't he can't hold his own in a social event with the nerds that he needs to be i mean you know i right. think it's it's kind of interesting where you look at you know it, all these characters, you know, like Elle, she's she's got all this power, but she can't function society. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so yeah, it's and that, like, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, and that's 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 uh, really um, kind of the same with with like our optional classes that I mentioned, because obviously, if you're an animal that has the ability to speak like a talking dog, like yeah, 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 you can't just walk around talking in the 1980s. You can't walk around casting magic spells in the 1980s. People are going to notice that. So yeah. it becomes it becomes much more of, uh, you know, having to hide your secret and being very selective about when you choose to use your powers versus just being able to run into a town with, with uh, you know, wands blazing and make it happen. So. Right, exactly. And especially, I mean, it is kind of <clears throat> very thematic. <laughs> excuse me with the satanic panic with you know with powers you know yes. so i think that definitely can get re- re- reinforced yeah and, and, and the satanic panic is part of the game like that is something that's going on so there's there's a little bit of a meta game or a meta inside the game the kids in dark places and demigorgons um play dark places and demigorgons so uh and the preachers are the uh the villainous preachers rather let me say that 
um, are out to get their books and confiscate them due to the satanic panic and are blaming missing the missing the kids who are going missing because of the monsters on the kids who are playing Dark Place theme boards. So it's very much, you know, uh, uh, a love letter to my my youth and how I had to grow up. And that's all uh, definitely infused into this game. Yeah, I was pretty fortunate. I mean, we obviously grew up at the uh, same time period, uh, but I I didn't face, you know, my parents were fine with it. And they asked the pastor about it and he was like, yeah, it's just no big deal. So yeah. I didn't I didn't necessarily have to face that whole onslaught of weirdness, but still. Yeah. My, my, my mom was uh, was fine with it, too, because she always thought, well, they're all the boys are here. I know what they're doing. But <laughs> occasionally, like every couple of years, there would be a thing where she's like, well, they're saying on TV, Eric, I just want to make sure. And, you know, something along those lines. But then I, I know uh, I mean, I had some books taken away from school at school and burned. So that, oh, really, that happened. Yeah. Oh, are you? That's crazy. That was, uh, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember her name. Miss Thornsbury. I can't remember. It's something Barry. It was, it was in middle school. She burnt one of my books in the trash can in her class to prove a point. Which was what? When that, she's a terrible person. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty much. Pretty much. So yeah. So that was very much a, a part, and I know. Lots of other kids who had their books confiscated. In fact, once in ninth grade, I had I, not Dungeons and Dragons, but I brought Rift's books to school. And I had um, a lady by the name of Miss Carson confiscate my Rift's books. And I snuck out of class and went to her office and stole my Rift's books and just went home. I just cut the rest of the day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, no, uh, she's not getting my books. Uh, forget that. So for what reason were you, were you were you actually reading when you shouldn't, or was he just decided? She just decided that the content, the Rifts books, if you're familiar with it, they have um, the cover of the core Rifts book has a monster called the Splugorth, and it has three uh, blind ladies who are like his minion. Yeah, and she decided that the Splugorth. And uh, the women were um, sexual in nature and just did just decided that was inappropriate for a kid to have and took them from me. Yeah. Rather than just saying, Eric, would you just mind not bringing them to school? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what was so funny is that like <laughs> the teacher who saw it had an issue with it, but she never said anything to me. She went over and called. And the woman who took it was like the assist, one of the assistant principals who came down and made me empty out my backpack and look through all my books and and took it. So yeah, it was it was something else. But yeah, that happened in ninth grade. I'll never forget that. At J Town High, which is in the uh, book, because Dark Place and Debbie Gorgons is all set in a fictionalized version of uh, of my hometown. So <laughs> so you get your final revenge. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And let me just say that the, there is a um, stand-in for that assistant principal, and I did not treat her very kindly. She did not describe <laughs> with, with much love. Well, yes. Uh, yeah, and and I think, you know, probably younger people, I you know, I, you know, is, is uh, you know, watching the Stranger Things, you know, even though it was, you know, exaggerated, um, it wasn't like, overly exaggerated right right and it's like in fact i just posted something on it was a a a library in a town that's probably like 15 miles from here the 20 miles from here they were saying you know it was like teach dnd day uh or you know but at the library and i i and i just i i forwarded or i i posted and i just said you've come a long way baby um yeah. And then I had an old friend, uh, an acquaintance, start down that path. It's just like, people are like, who boy? Yeah. Yeah, I posted, there's an article. There's a great, uh, do you ever listen to Cautionary Tales? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. He uh, he covered the satanic panic. Uh, Did a very good job. I posted that. But um, but anyway, I thought that was just an amazing um, show where he kind of goes through that whole thing. and and. 
I think what's to me what's odd is how much it was built. I mean, we could see it. How much was just built on lies? Right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There was that. That was that was something that always irked me. Of course, I've you know I, I made myself a target. I didn't mean to, but like I was the kid in the um, in the eighties who had the long hair, wore all black, the heavy metal band shirts, which half of them had like pentagrams on it. So I wasn't helping my case any, but I always knew that like, like I was like, well, no one else gets it. They just don't get it. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. It's something else. Uh, I, I'm so glad to see how, uh, how the times have changed and how much more normalized and accepted role-playing games are in general, you know, not just Dungeons and Dragons, but all, all role-playing games. So, so that that's very good. <laughs> no, I agree. I think it's really been, uh, it's been probably one of the most more positive. I, I, I posit it's probably one of the most positive um, cultural things that's actually happened. I think mm-hmm. in the last, you know, forty years or whatever. Yeah, sure, sure. It, it's kind of it's. It, it can be very democratizing, as far as you know. It, it, it's not as as um, as as diverse is I would like it to be, but, you know, but at least as far as socioeconomic backgrounds and mm-hmm. different types of people playing, it's just like, you go to a game convention and then everybody just sit together and, and having fun and, and socializing and, and, uh, and it seems to be a very positive thing. For sure. For sure. Well, yeah. And people even use it now for therapy, like lots of therapists use, use it in a group setting. So to help people, I know that specifically I've, I've donated books to this, um, uh, local foundation around here that they do um, role playing games for people specifically on the spectrum with autism, and um, and it really helps them to come out of their shell and to learn kind of what is socially acceptable and what's not through the interactions with other people. And so, yeah, that was something I was I was more than happy to to do. Um, but yeah, so it it's amazing, you know, just how far it's, it's all came. Oh yeah, I agree. It's just this, yeah. And I don't, I, I, you know, I think it, it seemed like we were on a precipice. You know, uh, seemed like World of Warcraft or uh, had, uh, you know, killed the tabletop uh, RPGs. But uh, we rose from the ashes, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just it's, it's it's healthy now that it's it's you know the kids who. Yeah, it's funny because I think the people that didn't grow up with video games being. Um, as uh, complex, once they saw those complex video games, were sucked into it. But the people that grew up with those complex video games, you know, to them, you know, that was normal. But seeing the the, the pen and paper RPGs, you know, they, they see value in that too. It's mm-hmm. not it's in a choosing of either or, but you know, they you know kind of thought, okay, the generation is lost. You know, we've lost this war. We're just we're just stuck with a, <laughs> a handful of companies and. And uh, we're in a bunker, and we'll just, I guess, finish out our days with a handful of RPGs that we got. Yeah. But here you are, Dark Places and Demogorgons. Yes, yes. So, so yeah. you've, you, and you've published more than one one game, I see. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've, uh, we've been quite busy here at Bloat Games. Um, obviously, Dark Places and Demogorgons is our biggest game. We also did Vigilante City. Um, which is probably our second biggest. We've done another game called We Die Young. I think all in all, I'm up to somewhere around 40 total RPG books. Now, some of those, like Dark Place Demigorgas has like 10 books. The the original survived this version. So we have, uh, but we have definitely uh, been around publishing. Most of what we've done, in fact, almost all of what we've done has been in the OSR sphere. Um, but we are slowly branching out to do more stuff like fifth edition and hopefully on to more uh systems like more indie systems or uh, more rules light systems um those tend to be where i gravitate to like my heart gravitates to the most um while i'm very used to the old school essentials uh not old school essentials, but old school osr games um the older i get the more the rules just get in the way and the the, the less i Less rules, the better for me. Right. So, yeah, I agree. I, I, I well, it depends, but yes, they, they do. I, I don't run as many games as I would like, and I don't get to play as many games as I'd like, but, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I 
do agree. And I think what I enjoy more are, uh, it seems like mechanics that do things that are narratively interesting. Yes. Rather than just being, and I think what I liked about like some of the things with like the Powered by the Apocalypse with his dungeon world or something, is sometimes, you know, people make it rolls and they get to ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's pretty powerful. But yeah. it's not overly powerful. And and it, and it kind of helps like with investigations and all this sort of stuff where you, you make a role, you get to ask one question, make a really good role, you get to ask three questions. And I think, uh, or maybe you just get certain powers in certain situations, you know, like, I think those are m- much more interesting than just the, the things related to combat, because I think they cause people to, to start thinking more about their environment and what's going on rather than just, you know, kill the monsters in one room, go to the next. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I agree 100% that, and, and I think too, I think a lot of the um, younger generation uh, um, are much more in tune with their feelings. And so I think that's why a lot of the um, Power by the Apocalypse games really appeals to them. Um, things like Monster Hearts and, and I mean, I could go on and name a whole bunch, but there's, there's a lot of games that are more about how your character feels than what about, than about what your character does. And I think that really more so than um, than the older generation, I think the younger generation really really is really drawn to that. Right. It's less, it's less right. It, it's this, it's like the 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 subsystem, like if you're it's not that your superheroes is the main thing. That's the minor thing. The major yeah. thing is you're having all these crazy teenage angsty moments going. Same with monster hearts. It's just, yeah. but I've got a friend, well, I say friend, I, an acquaintance of uh, Finland. And they do LARPs um, that they're like, there is no way in this world I would ever do one of their LARPs, but it's like, they're very emotional, real life kind of things, you know, like, mm. okay, you're, it's World War II, you're in a bunker and you've, you know, you've been shelled for three days and now everybody plays normal people in a bunker as, as, you know, the food's dwindling and, 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 and things are looking bleak and the Germans are coming and they, they'll do that for days. Wow. Yeah. It's just like, I don't I don't think I can handle that kind of intensity. <laughs> and yeah, uh, but sure. for some culture, even culturally. So I think I think you're right. I don't know if it's just I think the younger people are in the United States more in tune or want to express those feelings. I think that is true, but I think it's definitely a culture thing. And for us, it's the younger culture rather than the you know, men like us who are <laughs> who are raised a certain way to think a certain right. way and not demonstrate feelings in public for whatever reason. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> For sure, yeah. No, I definitely know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so when did you start doing that? So when did you start producing games? Um, <clears throat> our first game was 20, our first role-playing game was 2016, um, a game called Survive the Zombies uh, uh, that now has got a second edition. Uh, but originally, I kind of based it after the old white box Dungeons & Dragons um, uh, books so it was like so with that you got like four little zine style books and then uh then dark place Steamworkers was the next one which was our first like full real book um and so you know we've been going strong since since 2016 so and uh we our first game was actually a table, tabletop card game called list off which is it's uh, a trivia based card game it's kind of like playing uno and trivial pursuit at the same time uh really fun uh, but funny enough, now we're branching out more into um, the tabletop games as well. Um, so we got a game coming out called like Play Rewind Eject. Um, and then, you know, we got another game that hasn't been announced yet that's in uh, pre-production. That's a licensed property, which we're very excited about. Oh, that is exciting. Yeah. So so it, a lot of good things are happening. And on top of that, we, we got um, a ton of uh, like. I think like eight role-playing game projects in the works, which the Dark Place Demigorgons uh, for OSC, I mean, that includes, um, we're up to nine adventures and three core books. So that's, and that just counts as one project. So we got, we got a lot going on at Bloat Games and a lot of stuff that I'm really excited about um, and feel very fortunate that I get a chance to do. So, yeah. So the, for the licensed product, uh, so, so the question is like, what, 
so you came up with an idea. You like you, there's a license that you assume you like, and you're like, you know what, I want to do a game. I can see a game, and then you went and pursued then <clears throat> licensing that. Well, did it a little bit differently. What I did <clears throat> is I came up with a, a game that I, I wanted to do. I made the game, been play, t- play testing the game for uh, about a year, and, and he, he didn't really want a response. And um, but the the theme of the game that I was doing was really kind of generic. Um, and I don't mean that like in a harsh way. It wasn't like the game was terrible. But the theme was just something that had been done over and over. And so I thought about, well, what if I took this and applied this to um, to uh, use another theme, but kept the core mechanics the same, kept the everything else the same. And it worked out that there was um, a property available or a property that I didn't know was available. But I reached out for it and was able to get it. And, um, and so, yeah, so now we're in the process of, of uh, just kind of overlaying that theme onto the existing rule set and stuff and making sure that everything's tweaks and, and make sure it feels right. You know what I mean? Like we don't, I don't want to put it out just because the, the license popular. I want to make sure that we put out a good game that has this license that, that, that um, is not only a good game for us, but that also, um, you know, pays homage and, and and stuff to the people who have uh, been a fandom of this game before. So we're, we're really looking forward to that one and just making sure that it, everything lines up perfectly before we, you know, officially pull, announce yeah. it and pull the trigger and all that. So how do you, how do you initiate, like, you know, the, uh, so how do you initiate the, uh, uh, the communication with, like, did you just? Yeah, I just, like, how, I, Basically, just a query. I just I sent I sent out a I sent out a letter saying, "Hey, this is this is what I do. This is what I'm known for. This is what." But who'd you send like, it to? Uh, I actually, this is a con is a creator themselves. So I was able to, to work directly with the creator. I didn't have to go through like a licensing broker, which is uh, a huge nightmare. I've tried that and not much luck, um, especially for like the volume that we do. But this was something that has a fan base that is not that has not grown to where it is a commodity where there was still one person who I could reach out to and say, right. "Hey," and so I was able to reach out and say, "You know, this is what this is what I do. This is what you know. I, you know, I really like what you've done. I think that this would work." And kind of laid it out, and then um, end up going and playing testing the the existing game that I had. Um, with that creator and uh and he really liked it and uh about two months later we had contracts signed and everything ready to go so that was pretty quick yeah yeah it was and it was very it was very exciting because it you know it was very much out of our um our wheelhouse of low games um what we're really big into uh, especially with our role when it comes to our role-playing games is uh, genre emulation. So like Dark Places and Demigorgon. Um, like, uh, is, you know, obviously, oh, the Stranger Things and horror movies of the 80s. Um, Vigilante City is very much a love letter to Batman the Animated Series and like X-Men and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So, you know, we have, we're very big into like genre emulation as far right. as that goes. Um, but this was, so this was, this was something that was all new to us as far as getting an existing property and and making sure that it it feels right. I didn't want to just have somebody else's like art and characters on my stuff and have it be my stuff. I wanted it to feel like a natural progression for what they were already doing. Right. Yeah, it's just I I interviewed one other person who uh, they went through and got the um the chew license for the comic book. Oh yes. And it <clears throat> it was just pretty fascinating. Um just the the interactions and how that all worked and and mm-hmm. um, and it's it, it you know it's definitely a, a different animal altogether going that you know mm-hmm. you know going there it's also i mean for you i'm sure that the the licensings can you know vary but a lot of times it's money up front i assume and it's you know you've got skin in the game <laughs> and that, i'm sure that that raises the uh you know it, it, 
like for the for instance the next kickstarter i'm doing i have more money laid out up front Mm -hmm. so now there's more risk yes it's like i did the calculations like i think i can always sell 100 books so it's like okay i should be at least fine but you don't know right uh (laughs) because nobody said eric you know, it wasn't like 10,000 people says, you know, Eric, we want an Usagi Ojimbo card game or whatever it may be. Right. You know, right. They're not saying that. You're like, I really like this. I really like my game. I feel like other people like it too. Yes. Well, and that's, I feel that way about every project. I mean, even, even so, Dark Place and Nibby Organs are our most popular game. Like I said, we got like 10 books in the, in the original series and stuff. So I knew it had a fan base, and but even with that going into um, the Dark Place New for Old School Essentials, um, it by far, I mean probably five times the budget of any creative endeavor I've done so far, and so to uh, to you know it was very scary. I was like, if this doesn't hit, boy, am I <laughs> am I? Yeah. <laughs> I know what you're saying. It's um, sounds not kick track, and that's um. I don't think people realize it, and I think the the problem is when you when you uh, in, in hindsight, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Yeah, it succeeds. You're like, well, of course it succeeded. Well, it, it, it you just don't know. You don't know. Right. But I will say, I don't know what the rest of the book um is like. But at least from your the image that you paid for for that cover, yes, that was that was that is a brilliant cover for what you're doing. So yeah, I think that, every yeah, dime that, spent on that artist was well worth it. Yeah, that was that was done by Runehammer, um, also known as Brandish Gilhelm. He's the guy who created um, the Index Card RPG. Uh, he and I have worked together before. When when I created. Um, Vigilante City, he came on and did all the art for it. Um, he's done art kind of hidden miss for us. Um, then he went on to make like an index card version of Vigilante City um, and stuff. And so we got a re- really great working relationship. And I-, I just went to him and I said, hey, would you be interested in doing the cover art for um, for Dark Place of Demigorgas for Old School Essentials? I told him that it was going on. And he said, yeah. And I said, do you want me to give you any um any pointers or description he said nope i got this and so you know you that that always worries you as a as a, as a person because typically i don't like to get i like to give my artists as much creative freedom as i can but i usually like to say well this is kind of what i was thinking but he when he sent back that finished chart i was like oh oh that's 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 brilliant that that is and i you know a lot of this campaign success is is very much coming from the back of that that cover oh art. yeah so because because what you did is you created a, a feeling with that art yes yeah he he 110 <clears throat> percent failed um what dark places and nimic organs is and and the the feeling of playing a session in in the art um of all the art pieces that i've had for all of our games Tans down my favorite. So, so yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's just perfect. It is perfect. Yeah. So, looking at your, your, your uh, Kickstarter on Kick Track, it's kind of funny. It's, it's like your, your, the shape of your, we'll call it curve right now is about the same, uh, but the quantities are vastly different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, like, oh, it really dropped down, but I'm looking. It's like, no, those are really good numbers. <laughs> those per day, if you can do that per day for the rest of your life, you'd be a rich man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I got I got to stay away from kick track because man, it shows you that the projected yeah. goal. Yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do how many million? No, it, it, no, it says right now you're gonna do right now. Of course, it's down. Uh-huh. I'm sure from when you started, but right now you're you're set at really a quarter million dollars. Okay, yeah. So okay, I mean that'd be wonderful, but uh, yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> we know it's not gonna happen, uh, but we do know. But I I I do think you're going to. I think your daily stuff, it might drop a little bit, but I think you're going to have a pretty strong daily uh, throughout this, this whole, this whole thing. Yeah, we're, we're really, uh, I'm really trying to do as kind of as much um, promotion and stuff as we can. We got ads running 
and just it's we got we're very blessed I, I keep saying that but i really i really feel so grateful but we're very blessed this game is getting very good word of mouth so more than any of our other games people are talking about this game and telling other people about this game which is helping a ton so hats off to my backers i they're 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 the ones making the difference in the campaign right now yeah yeah no it, it's uh yeah it's pretty 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 impressive so you'll have to uh maybe maybe later on you can uh once kickstarter's over you can share about how well the advertising worked yeah for that's, sure. a, that's another one i'm not done i think that's probably one that's that's kind of it could probably either work or not work it's just it's just it's hard to well i will say that um i started advertising for kickstarters about five kickstarters ago and um the the ads that i've run have primarily been through facebook and i will tell you that um I see a significant bump in revenue from that. So, you know, if if I spend $100 on an ad or $200 on an ad, I typically see $500 to $1,000 return on investment. So, so far, um, it's all worked out really well for me. So I'll let you know how this one goes. Uh, but I would say this, my, the the last few projects I've done have been smaller projects, um, and they, you know just by scope and also by support. But they um, they're kind of very niche. But they wouldn't have gotten to where they were at without uh, without advertising via Facebook and and things like that. So I do recommend it. Okay, well I've I've got um, you know I think maybe less than two weeks before I'll be launching my Kickstarter. So maybe I'll just. Why not just throw throw a few? Uh, I can't remember my presidents. Maybe throw a few uh, Abraham Lincoln's or mm-hmm. yeah, who's who's the hundreds? I can't remember. Maybe I'll maybe I'll give that a try. Yeah, because it's um, yeah, it's just um, but you know you got to have the product to support it too. I mean, it's not just you know where where you, apparently you have in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we're we're, we're we got a pretty loyal fan base. Um, which some people come out and they, they just buy whatever I put out, um, which is, which is amazing. I, you know, I, like I, it floors me when, cause like I said, I've been doing this for a while now and, and I'm on, you know, my 20 plus Kickstarters. And so to see the same people back in you each and every go round is, is just amazing. Um, and then, you know, for that to continue to grow is, has been awesome. So yeah, it, it, you know, as much as building community goes, um, that's that's kind of my number one priority. But then, as far as as revenue, I do see the most bumps, anyways, from advertising. The campaigns that I did without advertising um, were you just you don't get you don't get your product in front of enough eyes. You know what I mean? Uh, like with Kickstarter, Kickstarter's got this thing called the Smart Audience. And so they they go through and hit up people, and uh, it's worked out really well to my benefit as far as not just getting revenue, but growing my core audience, which is my number one goal as a business person. So, so you said Kickstarter has what do they have? I mean, I'm sorry, not Kickstarter, Facebook. Facebook. Facebook yeah, they have they have a thing. It's called Smart Audience. Okay. Um, so it will uh, it'll you know it'll they'll they'll pick people that through the posts and stuff that they've liked previously to their right. algorithm. The, the algorithm, the evil algorithm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and it works. So yeah, I, I would recommend that. Yeah. I've never had a problem with algorithms trying to sell me stuff, mm-hmm. but what makes me mad is, is they present me with things I've ever already bought or things I don't want to buy. Right. Right. But they're smart enough to sell me what I want. Like, that's a perfect world. And I think yeah. there, you know, for some things it's obvious. I mean, you know, with, with, you know, role-playing games and with the Facebook groups and whatever, you know, it, it, they're able to start tying things in together pretty, pretty well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Cause it's like talking to people who've tried to sell um, fiction, mm-hmm. you know, we have it so much easier. I yeah. think. 
I, I think so too. Because if you say I'm going to do an OSC product, you can put on an OSC Facebook group, you can go to an OSC Discord. You know, you can you can put on Kickstarter, put OSC in the in the in the wording, and um, and the juice kind of works. Where it's all of a sudden you're wanting to sell, you know, a um, a fantasy romance novel. It's like, well, where you really go? There's no like, you're not seeing a congregation of. Right. people with fans that maybe maybe there is uh but as far as buying fans where it seems like you know facebook and a lot of these other places there is a congregation of people who are wanting product mm-hmm. yeah now i will say that um because i do have a little bit little experience with with uh fiction and stuff um selling fiction through amazon or through kindle is a lot easier than it is or, or that I found than it is selling RPGs through like Facebook groups and, and other things like that. People, right. who, people who do Kindle, people who do Amazon. So it's not so much the physical books, but the eBooks uh, well, people I, go there I, looking for that. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to tie it with the Kickstarter. Just throwing it out there isn't enough. So there's something about Kickstarter that gets everybody all crazy. Yes, it, it, very much so. The fear of missing out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, because I did backer kit and um, I was shocked at how well the backer kit did. Mm-hmm. And even though they're I was selling sometimes the same items, it's just people missed out the first time. Somehow just, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of wild. Um, right. It's just, it's just, uh, it, it is definitely. But you, you say for the fiction, though, it's it's worked out fine for you selling fiction uh, through, yeah, through uh, not through uh, print public, right? Just like the yeah, the EPUBs are yeah. I, I mean, I'm, people go, people will go there specifically look just look for things like, and their algorithms make it really easy to find like or similar things based on what you tag it. So. Yeah, I'm I'm very. I'm I'm also looking on the lines of of creating a setting and maybe paying uh for writing a fiction and do it as an experiment. Yeah, I mean like I said it it becomes with me it, it's been hard because we do so much here at Bloat Games that uh I I had to kind of lay off the the whole fiction thing because it was I was running two businesses at one time, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, I found I found that draining on myself, but that was also when I was working a full time job as well. So it's actually something I'm looking to get back into. I had planned on um, using next month is. Are you familiar with Nanoramo? Uh, yeah, so I had planned on doing a, a novel for Nanoramo, but I don't think that's going to happen as well as this Kickstarter is doing. I think I'm going to be a little, little too busy, right? I well, and I, I, me myself, I will not. I mean, I'm not a novel writer. Mm-hmm. I could write a novel. I, I could write a novel book, but it would not be a good novel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't say I write write novels. <laughs> that wasn't one of the prerequisites. So anyway, I, I, you know, that's that's something. It's like I don't know. Um, but I thought, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's some things I want to try. I want to try and get more, uh, try and grow into the publishing um, mm-hmm. arena and maybe look at some different avenues because you don't, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. Right. You know, it's like the OSC is great, but, you know, it's like, you know, putting out a zine for the OSC. You know, I, I kind of, I can't remember about something like, I was asking how many that'd be going to do a year. And I can't remember, I said, I don't want to oversaturate. Or somebody's like, you know, like, like, I thought that wasn't possible, but there's a certain point where, you know, maybe not. I don't know. There's got to be a certain point where you can put out a zine or an OSC zine every month and people, maybe not. Maybe people will keep buying it. I don't know. But it's like, might be a good idea to, you know, try something for Traveler, maybe try something for, you know, something else and just kind of spread things out a little bit so that you're not, you know, New new people with with money, I guess, is here before. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I actually I worry about that because of the amount of stuff that we put out um, here. I, I I worry about that quite often. Is like I never know how much is too much. 
Um, I haven't, you know, had the bottom fall out yet. So I, I think I'm doing okay, but that is, that is a concern that I have all the time is, I mean, this, this year we've done six Kickstarters. So um, we're like, you know, and a lot of them were for smaller projects that were, you know, very easy to deliver and stuff. Um, but it's still six, six times I'm asking people to spend money on. on yeah. I, that's kind of what I went through with, with Gary's appendix. I'm planning on launching Fane here in a couple of weeks. I'm just like, you know, it hasn't been that long, but it's what people want. They're going to buy it. I think that's, I think there's a lot of people who, I mean, th things are not good for a lot of people, but there's also just a lot of people who are older and have money and, and, you know, the kids are grown up or whatever, and they can just now have that, that flexibility to buy those things. So mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's hard because you can't see all realities. That's the problem. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, and one thing I used to manage an office supply store, uh, like 20 years ago, and I had a, um, a general manager who I will say, uh, not a general manager, but a district manager, I will say was a complete jerk. I couldn't stand him. But he shared one thing with me that was, I was like, oh, that's a nugget of truth that I'm going to hold on to. He told me, don't shop with other people's wallets, which means is like, he, he saw that we were selling a lot more of our inexpensive laptops. And he said, well, why are you selling more of your inexpensive laptops? And I said, well, the truth is the people who come here to buy this, they they don't want to pay, you know, $3,000 for a laptop. They're looking for the $599 special. And he said, are you starting by showing them the $3,000 laptop? And I said, no, I do not. And he said, are you showing them it at all? And I said, well, typically I start with like the best deal of the week and work that way. He said, well, you're shopping with their wallets. He said, what kind of car do you drive? And I said, uh, I think at the time I was driving a station wagon, Mercury Sable station wagon. And he said, well, I drive a BMW. He goes, Eric, I'm not being a jerk. I make a lot more money than you. I may want to see that $3,000 laptop. If you start showing me the cheaper one and then you show me three or four different laptops, I pick the one in the middle. You never even showed me the one that I may want. So you know what? He's on to something there. So I had to give him, I had to give him a little credit. And so I kind of, that's how, I've, that's a, a small portion of how I've ran bloat games is not to shop with other people's wallets to, to put it out there. And if it's something that they want, they will get. And if it's something that they don't want, they don't have to get it. So. Yeah, I think, and that is true. And I think, and I'm, I'm thinking about actually going with a hardback this time which is new for me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very easy because it's very easy. I think it's very easy sometimes to uh, not think people are going to get stuff without even thinking about, well, what if I did offer it? And what if, and lots is because Zach challenged me on this and I went back and forth where I was like, because um, originally the, the idea for Fane was just to make it a comic book. So it's the same size as a comic book mm -hmm. and the covers like that of a comic book and the idea was to kind of do that I and mean, he's like when i showed him what i had he's like well i think this needs to be a hardback so i kind of went back and forth but it's just like no i think you can make it work um offer a paperback and hardback mm -hmm. but but put but i guess what you're telling me is but push the hardback hardcover <laughs> well just i would say i would say yeah. make it one of make it an offer you know no, no, I know. I'm yeah, just saying yeah. it's just it's kind of funny. It's like, you know, not so much a you just put it back. You don't put it at the, you know, it's something you want to offer and show and demonstrate, not put it in the back of the room, you know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. So so how long have you been doing uh, bloat games? So you've been doing bloat games full time. What you're I've been doing, doing it full time for about uh just a little over a year yeah uh i finally got to the point with bloat games to where um i was working i would work like uh nine to ten hours a day at my day job five days a week and then i was working every other waking moment pretty much with bloat games and i kind of hit a wall on bloat games couldn't go any further without me quitting my job and but to do that i had to lose that income which you know 
is a is a hard thing to walk away from. But uh, so we yes it is yeah so so I I did it and um, it was rough for a few months. I ain't gonna lie. Uh, it took there was a ramping up period, <laughs> um, but things are things are slowly approaching. Like I said, I've been at it a little over a year, and things are approaching to where uh, um, it's not as devastating of a blow as uh, as it felt like the the first month out. <laughs> so, uh, luckily, I'm in a position to where like I didn't have to earn uh, the money I was earning before. Um, but with that being said, you still want to still got family, still got to take care of everybody, and I am able to do that. We've been making it work. So, uh, but that's, that's part of the reason why we had six Kickstarters this year was a few of those were, uh, what I jokingly called the keep the lights on at bloat games headquarters, um, Kickstarters, just to make sure you get, you know, you got a slow month. Yeah. Make sure you get that covered. So. You know, that makes sense. And that's what I've been looking at. I mean, it's, I'm at a position where I could, uh, realistically retire from my job in in a couple of years but um but also know it's easy to talk the big talk and it's another one to give up the the gold like what they call the golden handcuffs mm-hmm. it's like you know i will never probably make as much money as easily as i do doing my current job but but you know there's a point where it's just like i'm tired of, of the stress i'm tired of the hassle and uh you know there's more to life than just uh going to work and being stressed yes for sure yeah that's and that's that's what led me to do it. My mom, um, like four years ago, was diagnosed with uh, stage four lung cancer, and uh, it's a it was a terminal thing. They said she had nine months to live um, at the time, but like I said, it's over four years and she's actually still alive. Wow! And yeah, so we're we're very fortunate. But when that occurred, um, it was made very clear to me from my boss's boss that my mom having cancer was not a priority for them and that the priority was me being at work and and um not going to doctor's appointment not taking her to doctor's appointments and not and so it it very it very much um made the decision very easy for me oh what a terrible person yeah so so um, there was there was literally a day where where my boss's boss was getting on me um, and telling me that you know that this wasn't this wasn't something that I need to worry about. I need to worry about what what they needed. And uh, and I walked out of that meeting and I said I will quit this job within a year to myself. And I did. <laughs> and I am. I am much happier and much more relieved, uh, much less stressed than I was even before that stuff had happened. You know, it's funny you go from being like the the star player at 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 a job to um, very quickly like getting in trouble for taking your mom to the cancer doctor. Uh, It does a lot to quickly run you off, make you realize, oh, you're just a person here. It doesn't doesn't matter yeah. what you're for it. You're not even a person. You're just a tool. Yeah. You're just a, an asset. <laughs> They've already. Uh, uh, I forgot the term where you, you uh, you've. Uh, what do you call it? Where you have an asset, and then you over time you 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 devalue the asset over depreciation. Yeah, you've been depreciated out. Yeah, exactly. they get rid of you. They squeeze it all out of you. It's yeah. Yeah, it was it was not a good place to be. So. Yeah, I've been I've been pretty fortunate. I work for a very large corporation and they are they are really good about that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. or mostly good. So I've been I've been fortunate. But yes, it's still it's still, you know, there's a point where but I think that but I started doing the calculations. It's like I, you know, it's like, well, if the if I could you know, you said you did six, I'm thinking, well, if I could do five, then I saw, you know, with, with Gary's appendix doing reasonably well, it's like, well. I don't know that every Kickstarter can do that well, but to start doing the math, it's like I can do five a year. You know, there's that much you know potential money and a work a part time job and whatever else, maybe it's doable. Yep, yep, for sure. Because I really just want to spend the rest of my days um, wearing cargo shorts, a t shirt, and maybe a 
a flannel a pullover. Not flannel, but a, a polar fleece pullover. That's my favorite. If it gets too cold, I just go south. That's what I would love to do. Yep. But uh, that's 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 the dream job for me. Seeing my Same garage here. door open, sunshine yep. burning down, typing away. Yep. Same here. Same here. Well, you you are living. You are the the dream is becoming more of a dream. I think it sounds like for you every every uh, uh, with each passing uh, year, you're now doing this full time and uh, and graduate. I would like to go longer, Eric, but <clears throat> man, my voice is starting to. Uh, <laughs> I, no worries yeah so uh, uh amazing time eric i will have to you have to have you back on okay uh, I, be great. yeah there's a lot of stuff to talk about and uh and congratulations on that kickstarter it's uh but and uh you know what for all of you who are listening who haven't gone in uh, you don't want to miss out <laughs> exactly back now back now <laughs> so Anyway, we'll have you back on, Eric. Uh, you take care. Great luck on your on your Kickstarter. Looks like you're you're well on the way to uh, uh, making up for that that terrible first month or two when you started. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. We well, take care. All right. You too. 